Welcome to the Inside Startup Investing Podcast powered by King's Crowd. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lestrino. From discussions with founders and VCs to industry experts and special guests, we want to provide you with the inside scoop on all things startup investing. Whether you're investing $50 a deal or $500,000 a deal, we have the stories you need to hear before clicking invest. From the metaverse to spaceflight and beyond, join us as we explore the world of startup investing for all. And now, on to this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Inside Startup Investing. As always, I am your host, Chris Lestrino, founder and CEO of King's Crowd. Today, we are joined by David Alpert, who is the CEO of Skybound. If you are a movie buff, if you are into really cool TV shows, uh, this is someone that you have to know. Frankly, this is something very different from the types of companies that we typically cover. Uh, you know, usually we're talking to tech startups, early stage founders that maybe you never heard of. But David Alpert is definitely someone to know uh, and is known in the media world. So really excited to have this conversation. I'm sure there's a lot of you media buffs who are excited to hear more about this and how you can actually invest and partake in what it is that David and his team at Skybound are building. So with that, David, thank you so much for joining us here today. Chris, thanks so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. So you're probably talking to a little bit of a different audience than you typically talk to. Um, you know, this is very much kind of an investor audience who's looking at potential investment opportunities. So for those who don't know you and your media background, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you've done in your career? Sure. So I've, I've worked in media for over 20 years. Um, I first started in representation, representing uh creators, writers, directors, actors, producers of all types. One of my partners is Robert Kirkman, who created The Walking Dead, and he was a client of mine. Um, and then uh, John Goldman, my other partner, was also a client, but had also invested in uh, my management firm. So collectively, when we saw the opportunity uh, around The Walking Dead, we, you know, Robert and I were producing the TV show. That was an adaptation of his work. We, we basically did something unique in, in Hollywood, which is we reserved the rights uh, to commercialize the IP outside of television. So the rights for video games, merchandising, live events, all that stuff, we reserve those rights. And that was a very non-traditional thing. The, when we started to try to do that, people told us, you know, every cliche you can imagine, oh, that's not how Hollywood works, kid. You know, you'll never eat lunch in this town again. I literally got told that. You know, so by the way, I'm, I am healthy and happy. I've eaten many lunches in this town, um, so don't worry. But, you know, it was a very sort of a aggressive position to take. But the reason we took that position um, was very important, mainly because we saw at the time <clears throat> very few TV companies were actually exploiting the rights to their shows outside of television. Right. So you never saw any you didn't see video games or merchandise from you know CSI or from Law and Order. Right. There really wasn't that sort of market or opportunity. But with The Walking Dead, we knew that there was something different, that this was a bit of a, a different swing. We knew that there was a universe outside of the comic book and the TV show. So the goal behind Skybound was really to sort of take advantage of that and not just be a licensing company, but actually build operational business units to take advantage of that. So we did everything from publishing the comic book to making you know soft goods and apparel, uh, merchandising, we got into the video game business first as a licensing business, then as a licensing and production business. And now we actually are full stack publishers in that space. Uh, we produce film and television. We also produce uh, podcasts and audio, live events. 
Um, so the whole idea is sort of a full 360, what we like to call our wheel of awesome, where hmm. we put a creator and IP at the center of our business, and then all of our business units sort of drive revenue commercialization based off of that creator's input. That is really cool. Now let's talk about it. So probably the most valuable thing here, right, is that IP. You're, you're only as valuable as your IP that you can produce all of these wonderful things off of. Um, so what does that IP collection look like and how do you continue to build that out? Today, at this point, we have over 150 owned and operated IP. So the, the general funnel, the way that we look at it is that we, we create IP in low cost but high quality areas. So we create comic books, uh, podcasts, we create board games, right? So great ideas, touch the market fast, right? Yeah. Get feedback and signal. We then popularize that content in film and TV. So we don't look at film and TV as the end product, but we use that as a, an opportunity to connect with a mass audience. And then we monetize in the highest, the highest monetizing aspects of the entertainment business, which is video games and merchandise. Hmm. So we literally can touch the market fast, iterate, figure out what's working. We then get it in front of a big audience and then we sort of can drive revenue on the other side. So it started for us with The Walking Dead. That's, that was a, the first and the biggest for us. Uh, but now we have Invincible, which has been going gangbusters. We, um, season one was one of the biggest animated launches uh, ever. Um, we now have seasons two and three in production. We just released the trailer, uh, sort of our little teaser trailer for season two. That was the number one trending topic on Twitter, uh, number three on YouTube. Like it was a huge reaction. Um, and we have a whole series of video games and merchandise all sort of planned out around Invincible. So we're seeing the same, the same model that we've done with Walking Dead is now being applied to Invincible. Um, we have another thing called Impact Winter, which is, a it was Audible's number one original podcast last year. Huh. It's the first time they've actually released something off platform. So it went to the top of the charts on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. Um, and we have this really cool movie coming out in April uh, called Renfield. Uh, starring Nick Cage as Dracula, uh, Nick Holt, and uh, Aquafina. So we really feel like we have something special there. So we went from having one tentpole to we have two, and now we're sort of on the verge between Impact Winter and Renfield of having three and four. So how do you think about the IP that you're creating? Is there a certain type of thematic or, or vision that you have for the type of IP that you will produce, or are you pretty open across parameters? What, what does that look like? The IP that we, we're good at, right? The IP where we have, you know, my personal taste, I'm all over the map. I'm very eclectic, right? Everything from, you know, indie foreign films to, uh, you know, you know, weird Japanese manga. Like I'm sort of all over the map. <laughs> um, but from a company perspective, from Skybound's perspective, we're really sort of the smart genre business, right? So action, thriller, horror, fantasy, science fiction. That's really sort of the core of what, what we do and what we do well and where we connect, most importantly, connecting with an audience, right? So if um, you look at things like The Walking Dead, like Invincible, like Renfield, Impact Winter, they're all in that space, right? Where they're connecting and they're also worlds. And the world aspect is, is important to us because it's not tied to a single character, a single journey, right? You know, one of the great things about Walking Dead, some people's favorite character is Rick Grimes, who's the, the lead yeah. of the comic. Some people's favorite character is Clementine, who uh, is the lead of our video game. Some people's favorite character is Daryl Dixon, that he's, on, he's one of the leads of the show, right? So each of those characters was created in an entirely separate medium, and they have their own stories that only exist in those mediums. And that's something that we think is incredibly interesting and unique. If we think about kind of broader macro trends around your business, obviously with the proliferation of streaming services and all of these things, 
it's kind of opened the door to just vast, vast sets of content that can be produced. And you can reach lots of different demographics and types and, you know, interests and all of those things. Has that been a boon to what you're doing? And do you think that helps you grow as a business or does a traditional TV channel type of thing work plenty well for you then to build a platform off of? You know, it's interesting because it's both an opportunity and a threat, right? Mm -hmm. the, the shift in the landscape is, is really, is both great because new things are being tried, um, but it's also really problematic because the signal to noise ratio is all out of whack. When I came up in this business over 20 years ago, um, I, I had seen every movie in the theaters. I had seen every TV episode that went on each year, right? So it was, it was very easy for me to know every piece of output in <laughs> I've read every comic, I've watched every, played every game. There's no way, there's just not enough hours in the day. If I did nothing else, just like consume content, there would still be way more to consume that I can watch at this point or play or read. That's hard. But I think ultimately Skybound is the answer to that, right? So when I think about what our business is, we're not just providing content to Amazon on and Invincible or AMC on Walking Dead or to Universal for Renfield, right? What we're doing is we're actually creating a 360 universe and connecting with, connecting with the fans. The opportunity that we saw, right, is that when we had this comic in Walking Dead, we had this huge best-selling hit comic. When we launched the show, we had to reacquire that same fan, that same consumer. We had to reacquire them. When we then launched the video game, we essentially also had to reacquire the same fan again, which is incredibly inefficient. Yeah. And it also points to why the movie business is in so much trouble, right? If you love uh, Fast and Furious, let's say, and you've seen every Fast and Furious movie in the theater on opening night, Universal, the studio, doesn't know that Chris goes to Fast and Furious. So they have to pay money to acquire you for the new Fast and Furious and for Hobbs and Shaw and all the spinoffs coming out of that universe. Whereas if they had a relationship with mm -hmm. you, and they can find out that you, Chris, want this experience, or you, Chris, you would spend this fortune on a Fast and Furious car, or that you, Chris, would spend you know a week on a Fast and Furious themed week at a racetrack, and you get to race supercars, right? That would not only in sort of engage your fandom, right? They would make more money, but you would then be online telling your friends and promoting Fast and Furious. You would become that mini influencer in your community being like, hey, come to Fast and Furious, look at the stuff that I have. And so that to me is where I think Skybound actually solves that problem. We're designed to be like, hey, you love Walking Dead, you love Invincible, you love Renfield, you love uh, Impact Winter, you love any of the 150 IP that we're in process on, we can connect you to those experiences. Hmm. That's where we think there's something really valuable and unique. And so we don't look at that as, hey, we're in competition with those places there are partners but what's great is it's not just them taking from us they're actually helping to promote everything we're doing is helping to promote the overall brand and ip and that's really sort of where i think we can be useful in that we can stand out against the plethora of content or the overwhelming deluge of content that's out there but we can actually do it in a different way than the traditional streamers can well actually to that point so your fans that love The Walking Dead, that love Invincible, are they connecting with Sky, Skybound, the brand, or are they connecting directly with Walking Dead and just they're consumed by that? You know, it's both. Um, 
when we started, Walking Dead was the thing that drove it, right? So people were like, oh, The Walking Dead. Oh, I see a Skybound Long Island. Like, what's Skybound, right? There's, there was definitely that. Um, and I think over time, there's now a group of people in what's called our Insiders Program that have identified themselves as like, hey, I, I like what Skybound does. Like, not only do I like Walking Dead, Invincible, Impact Winter, and Renfield, like, there's all these other 150 that I'm, I'm connected to. So tell me more about what's going on at Skybound. Tell me more about what you guys are doing. Tell me more how you connect. Now, that group is incredibly powerful for us. Mm-hmm. And we found that it's much easier to say, hey, you like Walking Dead comics. We can sell you a Walking Dead game, Walking Dead merch. It's much harder to say, hey, you like this Walking Dead game. We're now going to sell you an Invincible book. Like that's a, that's a hard uh, zig to zag for us. But we are getting better at finding ways to make those connections. So uh, ultimately, you're asking me, are we a, a branded house or a house of brands? And I would answer yes. Love it. A little bit of everything. <laughs> now, that, that's really powerful. And it is interesting. And I think when you build that fandom into what you do, right, people seek out what's up next for Skybound? What are they going to produce next? I want to see what comes next. And in some ways, it sounds like you're developing kind of the next evolution of, you know, for, for lack of having great knowledge of the media industry, like a, a Disney or a Warner Brothers or any production house, but you're taking it to the next level of how you integrate and get closer to the customer and create a full 360 experience. Is that a decent way to talk about it? That's that's exactly right. And it also speaks to the exact reason why we're doing this Reg A raise on Republic, right? We've shown that we can partner with great creators, right? And deliver them a, a universe of opportunity that they don't get working with the traditional media players, right? So just, just a second there. One, Hollywood is based on screwing over creators. Right? <laughs> so that's you know, from music, film, TV, book publishing, uh, video games, it's in the DNA of the creative businesses. So we're like, hey, that's terrible. Let's not do that. And it's not only because it's morally wrong, which it is, but it's actually bad business. Once you've screwed over a creator, that creator happens to live in a creative community and tells her friends like, hey, don't don't work with that company. They're going to screw you over. But if it works the other way too, it's a virtuous cycle where when we treat creators well and they end up making significant money, have more control than they would in other situations, they tell their friends and those friends want to work with us. So that that's actually a, a, a benefit. So we've, we've shown that we can do that and we've done that very well. We've connected with audiences, but our goal is like, hey, look, you know what? We wouldn't be successful if we didn't have these fans. They're, the fans are literally the reason why we make money. They're the reason why we're able to be successful. So for us, we're like, it doesn't feel right to us that we get to reap all that reward. So we're like, you know what? Hey, fan, come in, work with us. Our success will be your success. And we can actually work hand in hand. And we think that connection is going to be the thing that differentiates us, right? We've already shown we can do it on this side with the creator. We want to do it on the other side with the fan and be the platform that actually connects creator, IP, and fan in a way that nobody else has ever even thought of trying. Yeah. And, and tell me about, you know, kind of the role of as things have shifted away from just being, you know, you, you go to the movies and then six months later you're on VHS and, you know, so on and so forth. How that kind of shifting landscape has made a company even more important like yours. So if, if you if you think about it, right, pretty much every media company is 
built on the 20th century definition of distribution, right? So uh, film companies still want to put your butt in the seat, right? Um, the TV companies want you to be watching on TV. Even, even a company as innovative and as impressive as Netflix, right, really is only about linear content. Yes, they've made some, some inroads into doing some interactive, but I don't know anybody that signs up for Netflix <laughs> for their interactive. They're going to Netflix to watch linear content. Mm -hmm. So uh, you, you think about it that way, and I'm like, I connect as a fan to an IP, and I want to see that IP sort of in all those universes. And I see it with my kids where if they finish a show, they instantly want the other show. They want to read the book. They want to play the game. And when they don't get those things, they get frustrated, bored, and they move on. Mm -hmm. And so for, for me, it, in a world of, of this competing for attention span, competing for eyeballs and, and ears, if you're in a position where you have an engaged audience, you need to engage that audience. And if you allow that, uh, so it's all about amortizing out that customer acquisition cost. And so once you've acquired the customer, you can't let that customer go. You have to find a way to keep them going. For instance, I love Game of Thrones. I think Game of Thrones is amazing. I, I have nothing to do with it. I've read every book. I've watched every episode. I bought all their expensive whiskey, right? And I played their horrible game. If I played their horrible game first, I wouldn't have gone to any of those other things. So that's, that's something else. But most importantly, right now, there's nothing for me to do in Game of Thrones. And I feel really alone. Now, I have such a strong passion that I'll, I'll probably come back to second season House of the Dragon. But like, if that connection hadn't been so deeply ingrained in me, I'd, I'd probably just move on and forget about it and maybe watch it, maybe watch it again. That's, and that's ultimately sort of where I come out, right? Is you have that engaged audience, you need to be feeding them something. Otherwise yeah. they're gonna move on to something else. Well, and, and now with just to your point, you know, with the level of content that exists out there, it's really easy to get distracted and move on. Um, and also people tend to watch all this stuff really, really fast. So then how do you continue to engage them post actually watching the show? I mean, there's plenty of shows that I love where you watch the whole season and then it's like, so now I wait a year and, and hope I hear from you again. You know, it, and there is that challenge. So just because I, I have you here and can pick your brain on these types of things, one of the things that drives me crazier than anything is this whole like, you have to have 16,000 subscriptions to be able to watch everything. In some ways I'm like, I wish I had cable, you know, <laughs> I wish I could go back to having everything in one place. What are your thoughts on kind of this fragmentation of streaming and how is that going to evolve, evolve in the future? And to tie it to what you're doing, how do you think that impacts your business going forward? It's been transformative, both in positive and negative ways, right? So I'll just lay out this. The binge watching has been one of the greatest boons to content creators ever, mm -hmm. right? And but I I define binge watching when they started releasing DVDs, right? So if you think about like you know Band of Brothers, which was this amazing show, and you got those DVD collection, people just binge through that, just went all the way through. Um, the Wire, right? All those great HBO shows. Once those came out on DVD, people were just consuming them. I think binge releasing is the most damaging thing that's been done to mm -hmm. linear television content, pretty much ever, right? Because the the thing to me, the reason why I talk about popularizing content in film and TV as opposed to monetizing is because despite the success of video games being sort of, you know, an order of magnitude larger than film and TV, film and TV control an outsized piece of the cultural conversation, right? Mm -hmm. So, for instance, 
Top Gun Maverick did over a billion dollars this summer. And it was like on the front page of every major newspaper, right? There are, there's tons of video games that are never talked about in newspapers that make over a billion dollars. Tons and tons of them. No one talks about it. And it's, it's just sort of, it's okay. But all of a sudden, you know, Top Gun does this and it's like, oh my God, like this is such a newsworthy event. People pay more attention to it, whether it's a, a legacy of the fact that, you know, uh, who's in charge of the media companies. I think it's still sort of connected in a deeper sense in that way. But when you binge release, you lose the opportunity for cultural conversation. Imagine the Red Wedding in Game of Thrones, right? If it was on a binge release, you couldn't talk about it. The day after that, that episode came out, everybody in my industry, everybody in my neighborhood, there was not a single place that you could go that you couldn't talk about it. Think about the NFL, right? NFL is one of the most successful entertainment organizations on the planet. Can you imagine if they binge released the entire season and the playoffs in one weekend, right? And you're just sort of like, oh, did you see, did you watch football this weekend? They're like, uh-huh. Well, where are you? Oh, I'm on like week seven. Oh man, like I, I can tell you how the season ends. It would destroy the whole narrative, right? It would destroy any joy or pleasure you could derive from watching. So I hate binge releasing as a creator. I love binge watching as a creator, right? Because it allows you to catch up and get into things you couldn't get into otherwise. But binge releasing, I think, has been horrible. My biggest argument that I had with Amazon around Invincible was getting them to say, hey, look, don't binge release it. We compromised. We did three episodes up front and then weekly thereafter. But I actually think that's one of the reasons why that show was so successful was because it allowed people to catch up. And then once it took off on social media, people were like, oh, I got to find it. I got to see what happens next. Like, he did what? And every episode ends with this weird cliffhanger. You're like, oh, my God, I can't wait. What's going to happen? And that sort of connection to connective tissue, I think, is critical uh, to sort of build that cultural conversation. I love that. I think it makes a ton of sense. And, you know, I think it's why some of these shows like The Office and Friends and Seinfeld, I mean, they still have a life in them, right? Because people still connect with those stories. And it was something that was released over years and years and years. Now you have people going through that journey again. Um, but that's actually something I want to talk to you about, which is kind of the long tail of IP monetization um, and this opportunity to continue to monetize a franchise for years and years and years. There's an incredible amount of value in that. I know you're kind of already hitting on it, but can you talk about some of those dynamics and what that looks like and maybe using The Walking Dead as an example, which has obviously been out for years, but how you are able to continue to monetize it. It's not just a one hit wonder and it's over. It's something that continues on for many, many years to be able to monetize it. There used to be this very pyramidal structure that was applied to content, right? Where you would start out with the movie and then there would be all these what they call derivative and ancillary experiences that came out. And they use that and it had like a pejorative tone to it or sense to it. And it was true, right? Generally, yeah. like the movie would be, would be good or not good and everything else that came after would be kind of worse. And, you know, it used to be sequels were considered like already, oh, they were money grabs or cash grabs, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if a movie is successful and doesn't have a sequel, people are like, oh, like kind of what's the matter with that? Like, why did that happen? The notion of a video game being a giant hit and not having a sequel is kind of a weird idea too, right? Um, so now we're in this environment where it's kind of expected. So well, one of the things that we say at Skybound is that um, the reason our business model is the wheel of awesome and not the pyramid of awesome is because you never know where are you going to encounter your fan first, right? Mm -hmm. And just like I was talking about with Game of Thrones, if I if I played their video game first, I wouldn't have read all the books, I wouldn't have watched all the shows, I wouldn't have bought all that expensive whiskey. 
But like by being able to say, hey, look, everything has to be primary, that allows you to expand the world and to make it sort of interesting and unique. So for instance, in The Walking Dead, we talk about those three characters, but we also, we published a series of novels that was different than the comic and different than the show. And what we did inside the novel series was we used the fact that there was no images, that was all text, to sort of play with readers' expectations. So everybody who had read the comic and watched the show, they knew what this character, the governor, what he looked like. So we had a big reveal around what he looks like in the book, and it's not the character you think. And that was a way in which we sort of used the fact of the limitations of the medium, right, to sort of completely subvert expectations. So that allowed us to say, okay, people are like, whoa, that's so cool. So now we have a whole series of novels that have been going on for years in addition to the comic books, in addition to the shows and games. In the game space, we're like, you have to give the audience, right? The big thing is when, when the show hit, everyone was like, came to us and said, oh, you got to do a shooter. You got to do a shooter. Shooting zombies, it's an evergreen. And what we said is, yeah, like, I like shooting zombies just as much as the next guy. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the unique principles of what make The Walking Dead The Walking Dead is emotion. So when we set out to make our first video game, we said, we want to make a video game that's going to make you cry, right? Like are we, are we literally set out the expectation and why that's important, right? Is that we understood that this is, while we're going to make shooters and we have, and they've done incredibly well for us. The first thing is we have to show the audience that we understand what they get mm -hmm. out, of, out of it. So one of the things that was, that was shocking to everybody else, but not to us on the show was that we over indexed female to male, right? Everyone was like, Oh, they assumed that the show was 80% male. No, we were 55% female, which is, which is crazy if you think about it as a, a zombie hunting show, but makes perfect sense if you realize that it's a zombie hunting show that's a soap opera, right? Like, you know, if you take away the zombies, you had a guy waking up from a coma trying to find his wife, and when he finds his wife and son, when he gets there, he finds that his wife's taken up with his best friend, and she's pregnant now, and they're not sure whose baby it is. Like, that is a straight telenovela, right? That could be on, <laughs> on Univision. So like we looked at that, we're like, it's the combination of those two things that are important. So we can get the zombie violence in and people go along with us. But if we don't get that emotion in, then we're not being true to the core tenets of the brand. Right. So the. the, the so ultimately, getting back to your question, because you can see I have religion on this stuff, like so I can, <laughs> I can, I can preach. Right. Um, but we we were like, we have to do it from that angle and that game. And people are like, oh, the narrative genre of gaming. It doesn't really exist. People tried it for years. It doesn't really work. That game went on to do almost three quarters of a billion dollars at retail and won 100 Game of the Year awards, right? So, like, it wasn't just that we were we held these principles. Those principles were good business because we stayed true to those principles. That was sort of the core thing we took away from it. So, ultimately, how do you build? How do you build that sort of long tail? So, one, it only works if it works, right? So, you can't take something that has no no following, no success, and build into something big over the long term. It doesn't, doesn't work. But if you have something that has signal and real connection with the audience, you can continue to do that as so long as you're not just going through the same repeated beats. The second you get to that place where you're just like, everything you've done before, you're doing again, and it just feels repetitive, mm -hmm. audience is like, great, next. And they're fast to cut you. But yep. if you give them something where you're exploring it new in different ways, right? Like, that's incredibly exciting. Like, I got worried. I'm a Star Wars fan, right? It's okay. I'm, I'm on board with it. Uh, and I got worried at some of the new shows they were doing 
And then I watched Andor and I was like, oh my God, like that's an entirely new thing inside the Star Wars universe that I had not seen. And I, I loved Rogue One, but that was, I was like, oh my goodness, that is such a unique way to tell a Star Wars story. And I was so impressed with that, the brilliance behind that show hmm. and envious. All right, you've turned me on to something I'm going to have to check out. I too am a Star Wars fan. Um, one of the things, you know, in the world of investing, people always say, invest in a company where they stick to the core of what they're so, so good at, right? It's that one thing they do amazingly well, and you want to invest in that thing. And, and to me, it sounds as though it's, it's just IP, 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 and that's what it comes down to. However, you're doing different things with that IP, like creating a video game, um, where I imagine you don't have as much expertise. So do you partner on those types of things? Do you work with other experts? Or is that a core tenet of what you do and you've figured out how to make that kind of the full stack IP through all the channels and you've become expert in those channels? Yeah, so I mean, I think, you know, what's interesting is is that um, the th if you look at the, the three founders of the company, the three major partners of the company, I come from the film and TV space. Robert comes from, is a creative who comes from the comic book world. Right, who's gone on to write TV and film. And then John comes from the video game space. John's been making games for well over 30 years. I've been making TV shows and films for well over 20 years and Robert's making comics for over 20 years. So it's like, you look at that together, it's in our DNA. And we actually think one of our superpowers, and yes, I, I apologize, the comic book guys talking about superpowers, it's, it's a thing. Um, but one of our superpowers is that we are naturally multilingual. Right. There's a lot of video game companies that talk about wanting to be in film and TV and comic books. And a lot of them try and a lot of them fail. Right. There's a lot of film and TV companies that want to be in the game space because they see all the money that's over there, but they don't actually have an, a natural appreciation and understand the language. Right. So the thing for us is I understand finance. Right. I understand technology. I understand how to run a dev team. I can do all those things. And ultimately, they all come down under producing. But the core for us is if you don't understand the core tenet of your IP, it doesn't matter how good the game or good the technique is on your, your filmmaking, it's boring. So you have to understand what makes that IP that IP. Otherwise, like you're never going to get it to work. So I think what is the thing that we do is that we identify great IP, we make great IP, we understand and stay true to the things that keep the IP that IP. Understood. Last question for you here. Um, for investors who were thinking about getting into Skybound, what does the future look like? How does this become a great investment for an investor? Yeah, so I mean, I think I think, I think the one thing is we're having tremendous success uh, in this space, right? So we've been doing this a long time, so it's not just, you know, the company's been around for about 12 years. Um, we aren't just doing it from the perspective of like, hey, we're three guys with an idea. We want to make comics and film and TV and video games. We've been doing it. And the, the, the nice thing is if you look at our, our finances, you know, they make that pretty chart that you see in all the generic things where they're sort of up and to the right. You know, we're going from, you know, 64 million to over $100 million of revenue, right? Uh, profitable revenue. We're going to be uh, north of $30 million of EBITDA uh, for this past year. And we're projected to increase that this coming year. Um, we're expanding both the number of temples that we have and our ability to commoditize and commercialize uh, those tent poles. Um, and we're moving internationally, right? So um, we're, we just launched our first first fully owned live action TV show that we're doing in South Africa. Um, and we're going to own the thing outright. And we have other international productions that we'll be announcing later this year. So 
the opportunity for us, I think, is huge. And if you look at the overall problems in the media, ecos- the media ecosystem, whether it's on the streaming side or whether it's on the video game side or that's on the comic side, like the, the answer in most of those cases is usually skybound. So as long as you believe that entertainment will be something uh, that's a profitable sector, and we, and we do, right? I think as long as there's been people, since, since people told stories around fire, entertainment's always been valuable and I think it always will be. Um, even in the zombie apocalypse, people uh, will pay for entertainment. I think that Skybound is going to be a great bet for, uh, for our investors. And is this the type of thing, I mean, it sounds like because you have such a unique set of IP that, you know, yes, there's opportunities for acquisition, but this is kind of a standalone company that could be on a track to an IPO. And I know you can't, you know, you have to be careful about talking about future events, but do you look at the ambition as building this as kind of a standalone, very large portfolio of IP? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I believe what I'm supposed to tell you is that, you know, uh, acquisition, IPO, uh, or some other return to the investors is is something that's that is all being sort of uh, under consideration. Um, but the truth is, I think the the opportunity to create this digital first content company is exceptionally large. Nobody has a content library the way that we do, and still as an independent company, all the other major content libraries have been acquired. And for us, we monetize it in a way that's completely different and sort of. I think more profitable and more exciting than other companies. Now, there's plenty of risks involved, as as, as we all know. But I think the opportunity here is uh, is enormous. Exceptional. Well, as you mentioned, you can invest via Republic based on when you're listening to this. Um, you have an opportunity to invest in the company. Really excited about this company. I think this is something that's very very unique, um, and it's pretty cool to have an opportunity to be able to invest in something where you're investing in IP like The Walking Dead. You know, that made up my college years in a big way. So I, I'm uh, very thankful for the portfolio and uh, and is really, really kind of a cool and unique opportunity for investors. So thank you so much for your time, for your expertise, for sharing your thoughts on the industry. Um, and for those who are listening, you know, certainly check them out on Republic. And thank you again for your time today. Chris, thank you so much. It was an honor to be here. Thank you, everyone, as always, for listening in to the Inside Startup Investing Podcast. If you would like to invest in King's Crowd and learn more about our entire business, you can go to invest.kingscrowd.com. We hope you join us on the journey, and thanks for listening.